You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another episode of the Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and I've got Cade Cleverly with me in the studio. And Cade actually asked me in the green room, you know, hey, how do you how did we connect? How'd you find me? And I thought that might be a little cool little preview for anyone listening. So it's a really strict vetting process. I surf Instagram and I find people that look interesting. Um and I usually start with uh, someone that I know personally or know of or have had on the podcast that went well. And if they're following this person, usually it's a pretty good start. And that's the case with Cade. I found him probably on Ben Dedamani's, um follower page, Shed Crazy. And then I pulled up his feed and it's like, holy smokes, Cade, you have you have spent some time in the mountains, haven't you? Oh, dude, that's that's where I live if I'm not working. <laughs> what uh, What state are you out of, by the way? So I'm, I'm out of Utah, um, grew up in Idaho and do a lot of hunting out there as well, but, uh, currently living in Utah and, and have had to learn how to, how to hunt Utah. Cause it's a dude, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. You went from over the counter endless opportunity to like, all of a sudden it's like draws and strict, like once in a lifetime units and, and you got to learn where things are. And, but some of the most, I would say Utah I would say across the board, Utah has probably one of the most competitive qualities of game. Like oh, your, yeah. your herds out in Utah, obviously, barring the last winter we had, uh, who knows how that's going to shake out. But typically, Utah is known for like exceptional quality across the board. And, and at least that's how I think about it. Like, yeah, Arizona is known for giant elk. Colorado is known for elk access, like over-the-counter tags. Montana is known for tons of land. I would say Utah's known for like limited entry hunts. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. I I mean, if you can get a limited entry hunt, you're gonna be shooting a giant bull. Um, it's those general season tags that are the ones that uh, give yeah. people the hardest time. I mean, you got to work for it, even just to get you know a two eighty bull. You're you're putting in the time really to to be successful. But I wish so. Here's my here's my like complaint with the scoring system. So nobody wants to shoot, like, I feel like it's not cool to shoot a bow, a bull that starts with a two, even though a 280 bull is a big bull. And that is like your 260 to 280 bull is the big bull of the people. I would say like, like when most people shoot a big bull, it's a 260 to 280 bull. And that sounds big. It's just like this social media age we're in. It doesn't, it's not cool unless it starts with a three. Right. Right. No, that, that is true. I, I, 
I agree with you there. I mean, I personally, a 280 bull, especially here in Utah, I'm not thinking twice about that. I'm pulling the trigger every time and I'll be, and I'm happy with it. You know, I think a 280 bull is a great bull. Um, the bull I killed last year was about that actually. And, and he, uh, you know, he was the herd bull in there. He was the biggest bull we saw in that area. Like, well, typically know. they are. I mean, typically in most places where you're like, realistically where you're going to be hunting is where you can get a tag, right? Like we're just right. starting out with like, if you're elk hunting, you have a tag. If you have a tag, it's usually an easier to draw unit. And so if you're mm-hmm. hunting like a general unit or any unit pretty much across the board, that's like less than five years to draw the herd bulls in that unit likely oftentimes are that 250, 275, 280 bull. You might find some 300s, but, like, there's not – I feel like in those general units, there's not enough 300-plus bulls to be the herd bull of every harem, right? Like, there's right. going to be a lot of what might be a satellite bull in a limited entry unit, and then this unit, he's a herd bull. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you right For now, sure. I am the biggest hypocrite there is when it comes to – to shoot or don't shoot in size, right? Because, like, right outside that door, there's a 354-inch bull on a pedestal. Nah. And next nah. month when we're in Colorado, I'm going to be shooting the first legal elk I see. Really? If it's a if it's a fat-looking calf, he's in trouble. <laughs> and it's because I've done – I've shot two big bulls with my rifle. I've been on probably eight to ten elk hunts, but I have yet to seal the deal with my bow, and that's it. Like, I just want to kill an elk with my bow. Oh, dude, for sure. If you haven't had that first kill under you, you just have to get out there and get that first kill. Like once you can get that first kill under you, you just gain so much confidence. And that experience that you gain just from that first trigger pull on any animal, dude, it'll carry you so far. And that's what people don't understand. I actually probably, it was weird. When I started hunting, I passed up small bulls. And I don't know why I just, I just did. I, I had a bull that I was, um, after I remember when I first started hunting and, and it took me a while to actually kill a bull just because I kept passing on spikes and I kept passing on these five points. And I think if I just would have shot him earlier on in my hunting career, I just, I mean, I think I would have killed a lot more elk and it potentially could have helped me get to, I mean, a better place to be able to be in a, a good comfortable spot to shoot a 360 bull and and have my my uh emotions under control when that happens so oh 100 percent. well and it's i could see how it's different if you live in idaho or utah or any of these states and you have a long season it's like yeah i might not shoot the you know if i was a montana resident i wouldn't be shooting a, a fat looking calf on opening day but i live in yeah. minnesota and i have seven days to get it done Right. So yeah, it's like, am I really going to eat tag soup? Cause like typically the way it's gone, I'll think back to every elk hunt I've done. So the first elk hunt, we went up Northwest Montana. I had a bull at 40 yards. He was a nice five by five, good looking bull, probably 240, you know, in mm-hmm. the two hundreds for sure. Definitely in the, definitely over two and under three. I mean, by a healthy margin on both ends. And uh, he had, like, one branch in front of him. I was at full draw, and I was thinking, like, do I shoot this or do I not? And it's 5.30 on the last night. And I'm like – and I chose not to shoot, thinking, like, I don't want to wound this thing on our last night. Now we can't have – we don't have time to find it. we got to pull out. 
what I should have done is just taken one step to the right at full draw and shot him. I mean, that's inexperience. That was my first elk hunt. Uh, right. Next unit we went to, I think I, oh, I shot at an elk. I, um, but to back the story up, I had a six by six bull at 30 yards, but it was so steep. I'm thinking I need to range him and I'm trying to range him and stop him. And he's chasing cows and he goes right through the gap and I didn't have time. Well, sure enough, it was like 30 yards. And thinking back, I was like, I should have just put like my 30 on his heart or my 40 on his heart and my 30 on his lungs and pulled the trigger. And sure enough, it was like 33 yards with the elevation or the, or the, the angle. And so wow. another moment of just didn't have that killer instinct. So then two days later, after kicking myself, I have the bull and I did everything flawless. I ranged him 53 yards. I dial, I draw back, I stop him with the nervous grunt and I just, I, that bead's just floating over his vitals and I just touch off and there was a stick like six inches in front of my arrow rest that I couldn't see through my sight housing. And so my arrow goes flying off the side of the mountain. And, oh, and my brother stepped out behind me and got him. He shot him, right? He just he did the whole last Mohican thing and whacked him. And so we got the bull, which is really cool because we hunt as a team. But um, yeah, uh, I've had – I had a cow in Montana with an archery at 60 yards, but it was, like, in the wide open in the timber. Like, there was not a tree between us. It was a grazed pasture. She was locked on us, 60 yards, last light, and I'm like, I don't know. Usually elk don't drop the string, but this thing's staring at me, <laughs> and wow. I'm in the wide open. So I just chose not to shoot, and so I've had opportunities. I just, you know, you just got to have that killer instinct, and I think it goes a lot to what you just said is, like, the more things you kill, the better you get at killing things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my that's my archery elk in a nutshell. On the other side with the rifle, I'm batting sixty six percent success rates and my average is three fifteen. So Yeah. Hey, that's <laughs> that's dang good. That's that's better than me. I I don't do much rifle hunting though. Well I it looks mean, like you I'll have, pick up a gun. You gotta take out bit. on your you take out with your bow before rifle season gets here from the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, I try to. I dude, I love bow hunting. It's just that that that's my go to every time. You know, if I, if I do any type of predator hunting, that's kind of when I'll switch over and, oh, and, uh, switch rifle. to the guns. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I really try to get it done with my bow if I can. Yeah. This is where I was talking about right in the green screen. And I'm like, wait, I got to stop. I got to hit the record button. Cause we're going to blow right past all these good conversations. But my wife just bought her first, her, she bought her first bow of her own. So she had a childhood bow and she's bow hunted you know, off and on through childhood and college and high school, but obviously couldn't do a lot because she went to med school and did all this stuff. Well, now she's done with residency. We bought a 40-acre farm here in Minnesota. We got, like, I literally, right before you got on, I got a picture of a mature white-tailed buck back in our food plot on my cell cam. Heck and yeah, so dude. she got this That's Hoyt, awesome. she got the Hoyt uh, VTM on Monday, Sunday. She got it on Sunday. And so... Mm -hmm we've been thinking like, Oh, what could we do? Like she always wants to, she wants to antelope punch. She's really into archery. She doesn't even want to pick up a, a firearm this deer season. If she doesn't have to, if she takes out. And so yeah. we're talking about archery antelope and I'm like, well, you can do archery antelope, but it's typically like a ground blind on water sort of thing. And it's not the funnest hunt. I mean, you can do spot and stock, but that's super hard. And she's like, yeah, maybe like mule deer instead. And so we're kind of thinking through what that could look like, but this is where I was going to, I was going to get at you. So, you know, she started shooting on Sunday 
because uh-huh. we've been moving and busy and everything. So we, and I just started shooting like on Sunday too. I'm a little bit behind this season. She started uh-huh. shooting her old bow on Sunday. We shot like 20 arrows, and then we've been talking about getting her new bow because she's shooting like a 20 year old bear. Ver- yeah. I mean, it looks like a recurve by by today's standards with these parallel limb bowls. And so uh-huh. and so I'm like, hey, we should like now that you shot, we should go. To, we should just go to the archery shop, and you should just shoot a couple new bows and see what you think. And I know, I knew how it goes. Like, I know how it goes when you're like, oh, I'm just going to go to the archery shop and shoot a couple of new bows and see what I think. And you're usually walking home with a new bow. Well, she gets yeah. there, and I'm pointing out, she's left-handed, so there's only so many options we have to shoot. And so she's like, well, here's a left-handed Hoyt Carbon. Here's a left-handed Hoyt Aluminum. Here's a left-handed Matthews. Here's a left, you know. And so we go talk to the guy, and we're like, hey, can we get some of these set up? And, you know, she's got a 25-inch draw. And he's like, yeah, 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 but what weight do you want to draw? Because, like, those are all, you know, male bows or universal bows but they're you know heavyweight and i'm like well i think she's drawn 50 right now but i'm not sure she, she's strong like i'm not just fibbing you she's strong and so she mm-hmm. gets back he sets up the hoyt uh vtm 50 pound draw and she just goes whoop, like like straight back she didn't do like the sky pull or anything i mean it was just straight back i'm like well that looks pretty easy so i mean and so she shoots a whole bunch, and then we she shoots the Matthews, and the Matthews had a harsher draw cycle, so she didn't really like that as much. She loved how smooth that Hoyt was. Yeah. Well, then we start, she's like, I want it, but which one would we order? And um, she's like, well, you can get, you're at 50 pounds right now, so you could order a 60 or a 65 or a 70, but all we have is 70s in the shop, blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you think you'll end with? And it's he's like, you pulled, you pulled that really easy for 50. Like, you're probably going to go up. And she's like, yeah, it felt really easy. So we're him and Han, I'm like, well, why don't, what if we just, dialed it to 60 and just see what happens so he dials it up yeah. to 60 and she just whoop, right back and then and she hasn't shot in a year and yeah. last year we only shot like twice so she really hasn't practiced for two years with her bow and she's just drawn 60 pounds back for a female so she went with the 70 pound hoyt and she probably will end up shooting 65 pounds in a couple of weeks which i think is just wild <laughs> Oh, dude, I believe it. So I actually just switched. I've been a Matthews guy since I was just a little itty bitty kid. My dad, that's just the bow we bought every year, you know. And I I switched this year just because I wanted to give a couple other bows a try and, and just fill it out. And I ended up going with that Hoyt BTM 31. And dude, that draw cycle is phenomenal. I love that thing. And when you get the full draw on that puppy, it sinks into a place that I I love it. I, I, there's like no torque in, in your bow. Like, you know what I'm saying? You get the full draw and you don't feel any torque in your hand. It just like is solid. And that's, that's a huge thing where she loved it. Um, because her old bow was back in that era where they tried to like fill your hand with the grip. So you get these really wide contoured grips. And so she was having, and she has like her style is a full grip. And so I've, you know, I've been working with like, Hey, you don't want to like, you don't want to grip the bow because that adds side torque. But then just as wide as her grip was, she was, like, getting inherent side torque. And so she noticed and she liked how thin and nice that ha- that grip was. And it's the exact same one. She got the VTM 31. Obviously, she's pretty short, so she doesn't need the 33. And so yeah. – and she loved it. I mean, I think – I'm shooting a Matthews Halon right now, and I do think oh, yeah. I'm going to switch to a Hoyt. Um, I don't know. I think Hoyt's marketing is just getting to me. And I mean, I've never shot a Hoyt in my life. I've never shot a Hoyt in my life, and I still think I'm going to switch to a Hoyt, especially after how she switched now. And, man, Hoyt would be – if Hoyt's listening, it would be a great opportunity for both of us to switch. But um, I want to shoot 31-inch 80 pounds. 
Okay. I want to find I, a, that bow. Yeah. I, so I've got the 80 pound limbs on mine. Um, I didn't, I didn't do the 80 pounds. I thought about it. Um, and I, I mean, you can see I'm, I'm a pretty skinny, scrawny guy. I, I don't go to the gym, like the mountains <laughs> are my gym, dude. You know, I, I have never been a gym goer, but I'm always with any free time I have, I'm, I'm hiking the Hills. I'm in, I'm in mountain shape, not, yeah. not tough guy shape, but, um, Oh shoot. I forgot where I was going with that. So did you, you said you got the 80 pound limbs, but it sounds like you haven't dialed yes. it up to 80 yet. Yeah. So I dialed it to 76, put it at 80 at first. And I was like, I can pull it back, but man, if I was in like a, you know, a, yeah, a, weird situation. a position that I had to like bend down and like pull it back in a weird spot. Like I'd have to make a lot more movement with my head mm. and stuff to kind of, kind of jerk it to get back. Um, and that 76 was just perfect. Like that 76 feels like it's 70 for me. Um, when I'm drawing it back and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to stick with that at least for this year, build my muscles up to that 76. And once I feel comfortable with that, and I feel like I can squat down and do those weird positions, I'm going to throw that puppy to 80 and, uh, and shoot that. Cause it, yeah, it's, it's what, but what Matthews did cruising. you have before you switched? I had a VXR. Oh, so you were pretty VXR. late. I'm Halon, which is like 2016. So I'm already almost 10 years old. But I'm wondering if like 75, 80 pounds on a Hoyt VTM feels like 70 on a Halon because the mat, like those bows have a little bit more draw cycle. And obviously yeah. you're not looking at my Instagram page like I'm looking at your Instagram page. So I can see your body type, but I'm 6'2", 270. So 80 pounds, I mean, I go to the gym quite a bit. I've been doing a lot of lifting in my life. I mm -hmm. feel like I do have the body that can handle an 80 pound bow a long time. Yep. Like I'm not a scrappy guy. I'm, I usually have the opposite problem. I need to cut weight every September to get into <laughs> mountain shape and I live in the flatland. So th that part's actually the issue, but I do feel like I could handle the 80, but if I can get, I'm at like 30.4 for a draw. Like that's what my measurement is. Cause I have, I'm six, two, but mm -hmm. I have six, six arms. Mm -hmm. and so or six five arms they're like three inches longer than they're supposed to be so i'm going to try to get to 31 so that i get that extra 10 feet per second and then i'll probably dial it. i'll probably max it out which might be more like 82 pounds yeah dude you're gonna be you're gonna be sending them they're gonna those arrows are gonna be cruising i'm only shooting a 27 and a half inch draw no 27 actually this year but there was a little difference there between the hoyt and the matthews and they they put me at a 27 this year for mm. with hoyt and yeah, my buddy that has a <clears throat> a draw length that's a little bit bigger, he's he's shooting like ten or fifteen feet per second faster than I am. So when I shoot at I've been on a heavy arrow. I don't I don't get into it much, but I am shooting a five hundred and seventy five grain two blade fixed single bevel. I kinda drink the Ed Ashby Kool-Aid on uh, penetration. So and I'm already shooting a halon at seventy two thirty. So it's it's still cruising. And yeah. so my whole thought on an elk, and I'd love to get your perspective on this because you've actually shot them with your bow. I've just seen them get shot. I've watched four bulls die with in our archery group. Um, mm -hmm. But no one's ever had a complete clean pass through. Yeah. And so I think my belief is when it comes to elk, two holes is the name of the game. Like you got to get the entry and the exit, and you don't want anything in the hole plugging it. I agree 100%. And I've stuck elk. Um, I've only had one pass through on an elk and that thing, 
I mean, died super quickly. The fastest. Um, I mean, if you can get that full penetration on both sides, those animals don't run far 60 yards maximum, at least that the animals that I've hit and I've hit good, you know, yeah. double lung. Um, but my bull last year, um, that I, that I ended up killing, I was shooting a, an expandable. I was trying to expandable. I've been fixed for the longest time and I actually didn't get full penetration because my expandable didn't deploy. When I found that thing, it, uh, it, it hadn't deployed and it was like, honestly, it had just been, you know, almost a bullet hole and there was no blood on the blood trail or anything. And that bull, he ran probably 150, 175 yards. And there's no way with where that bull was hit, he would have ran that if one, the expandable would have, would have opened. But two, if I could have had both that, that, that clean pass through those elk can't run far. Man, that would really it make did. me nervous. So you, it didn't deploy, but you still didn't get a full pass through. Like you would think like you're shooting a target arrow at that point and it should punch right through. Right. Right. You, I, you not, I've, I suppose you're probably not using those broadheads this year. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I switched. I've talked to a couple of buddies and they, I, I, for whatever reason, my, my buddies that I do have, they swear by, by expandables, especially those severs. So I'm giving those a try this year on, on elk. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do, um, and, and see how they work this year for me. But if I don't have a good experience with expandables, this is like, the last two raw and I'm switching back, back to my, you know, the fixed broadheads. So I don't, I don't like get into it and get angry and stuff, but I do have this little mantra and everyone in our group kind of believes it, but it, we've, we say if your elk hunt hinges on a broadhead, pick a broadhead that doesn't have hinges. Yeah. That's that. I like that. <laughs> I might, I might have to put that on a t-shirt and see if anyone you should. wants to Dude, wear I'd, that. <laughs> I'd wear that t-shirt. I, while you're shooting uh, your I mean, expandables. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm shooting my, well, like I said, give me, give me, give me a little bit. Let me try my severs and then, and then I'll, I'll have a better, uh, you know, um, idea yeah. on that, that whole subject. But I don't know, dude, I, I'm just kind of the guy that tries everything a little bit. You know, I want to try this, try that and be able to, not be dead set on one thing because man i feel like if you can be versatile that's gonna help you be the the most successful while you're out hunting you know yeah and just by trial and error dude that's that's how you learn that's that's how i feel like i've learned how to hunt is just by trial and error cause... yeah i'm i think so right now i'm shooting grizzly sticks it's just a true two blade fixed single bevel but mm-hmm. I really want to switch to iron wheels because they have those bleeder okay. blades on them. And I think that would help a little bit. Like, cause the, the drawback with the fixed blade for everyone that's listening is you have a less, you have a smaller cutting diameter. And especially if you go from like a two to a three or a two to a four, you have less blades. So you're really starting to get less cut, total cut. Right. And so if you have less total cut, there's less chances of hitting big arteries, big, big, whatever, blood loss, all that stuff. And so you're really making a trade-off. I think the ultimate trade-off is it's not really accuracy because you're making, like, if you dial your bow in, your fixed blades will fly good. They'll group. They might not group where your target arrows go, but you can adjust your sight and, and you, th- you'll you hit them. Like, we're talking about an elk. Like, you're going to hit, you, you both yeah. people are going to hit the elk. Like, you do your due diligence, you're going to hit it where you want. So really the trade-off becomes penetration versus cut diameter. 
yeah. that's what we're talking about. And so, like, it, it, I I worry a little bit that the, the cut diameter could be better with these single blade fixed. And it's like I'm shooting 175 grain broadhead. Why can't we just make this a, an inch and seven eighths cut instead of an inch and a quarter cut? Like, I, mm-hmm. I want the weight anyway. Make it wider. Yeah. So that's the trade-off. I don't know. I might switch to Iron Wills. I would love to have Iron Will on the podcast, actually, and talk about broadhead design and durability and all those topics. Because, like, I shoot kill zones for whitetails, like a little 100-grain two-blade expandable, and I'm like, I'm looking at these blades of these kill zones, and then I'm looking at, like, the femur of an elk or even the rib of an elk, and I'm like, I don't know if I like that, how thin this little expandable blade is. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you there. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I'm excited. I'm, I get excited every year for elk hunting, but yeah, I'm excited to poke a hole in one and, and recover it and, and finally punch the first archery elk tag. And like I said, I am, I don't know if I'll actually shoot a calf, but if yeah. that thing has so much as a whisker on it, I'm going to shoot it. Like if it's the a yearling cow is in, is in serious trouble. For sure. Yeah. Like, there ain't no two ways about it. If it's a cow, if it's a nice looking cow, it's it's in trouble. Nah. Uh-huh. That's where no, I'm I at. like it, dude. That's where I'm I at. I like it. Yeah. Um, that's a good place to be. Good place to be. Get that first kill out of the way. Yeah. For... Um, but that brings up a good topic. So I see you do both archery mule deer and archery elk. Do you have a preference between the two? Like obviously if assuming success, I think a lot of people say I'd rather shoot a big bull just because yeah. it's an elk but like which one to you is more fun in the pursuit oh dude absolutely elk all day okay yeah yeah i i've hunted elk that's just that's my favorite thing to do i mean i i'll go after mule deer i have my mule deer hunts that i plan each year and i have a blast don't get me wrong but dude there's there's nothing better than an elk just screaming at you in the woods and yeah. you're just playing that game of cat and mouse all the way until you can you know just sneak in there and you know put an arrow in them or or call them in you know depending on the situation yeah so that's a good topic to talk about because i'm i want to be adaptable i want to be flexible and i've talked to a lot of people on this podcast about calling elk and i you know that is the name of the game typically in archery season unless you're hunting water or hunting tree stands which we don't really do unless it's a backup like if we're not having any luck with bugles and it's hot we'll we'll try to sit water but we've never shot a bull off water water holes all the bulls we've shot have been active hunting calling that kind of thing so that that's where it kind of begs the question of like what's your strategy what's your go-to for calling elk like do you hunt as a team do you hunt by yourself because we're always typically with the team i think we probably are a little bit too static like we'll set up and expect the bull to come to us and i think we one thing we could do better in our group is chasing these bulls as we're calling them and we try it i mean it, we try everything we really do but i feel like maybe it's we need to be a little bit more aggressive at times from what i'm talking about with everyone else and hearing everyone's strategy but i'd really like to hear what your strategy is when it comes to, to bugling right um i mean obviously it depends on the time of year what the elk are doing um there's a lot of times uh just la- like last year the elk weren't vocal until seriously the last three days of the hunt. And even when they started getting vocal, it wasn't like that full rut action where they come running in and like want, want to fight with you. You know, they're just were like, Hey, get the heck out of here. Like, what are you doing? And, and didn't, weren't real interested in coming in. 
And there was a couple of times we just, you know, we'd call and I'd just say to my buddy, I was really trying to help my, um, my buddy last year, kill an elk. Um, it, he's never killed one before. And he's kind of a first time archery hunter. And I just told him, I said, look, I'm going to keep these elk talking and they're not coming into calls. You're just going to have to, you know, sneak in, play the wind and, and, and sneak up on a bull and, and get one, you know, get an arrow in one because, they just weren't coming into calls. Um, and that's, that's kind of what, what I'll do like, um, to start the season off. Cause there's like a couple of calls that I, I like to do. And I can't remember who I was listening to that, that had taught me how to like taught me this call, but it honestly sounds super weird too. Like you wouldn't think that, that an elk would respond to it, but, but they do. And they, it's, it's not like an aggressive call, but it's just like a, like an elk just kind of playing with his vocals almost a little bit. Mm. And, um, it, it just, for whatever reason, they, they, they talk back. I don't know. It, it, it helped us last year. I used it several times and my buddy would get super close. I mean, he's a first time archery hunter. So he had a lot of stocks that didn't quite work out for him, which everyone does when you're learning, you know? Um, but I was able to keep those bulls talking even when they weren't in the rut, just so that he could sneak in there and, and get within bow range. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that would sound if I ripped a bugle and, and tried to show yeah. you kind of what it sounded like. But... It's pretty loud. I've done it. That's how I made the intro to my other podcast. I bugled, but so it's a, it's a bull sound, not a cow sound. It's a bull sound and it's like a real, um, is it kind of like a half bugle? kind of like a half bugle but raspy and like huffing and grunting okay. almost yeah um just honestly like most people would be like dude what are you doing like that that that's not what elk do yeah um, i have noticed in my own bugling like i like to hit that long high note like that <laughs> and um mm-hmm. You know, kind of like the bugle you see on, like, marketing, right? Mm -hmm. But when we're hunting, I'm noticing, like, when we hear real bulls, they don't bugle very long. It's not a long, drawn-out, beautiful sound. It's more like a... And it's it. Like, they just kind of hit the top note sometimes, and, like, they don't hold it very long. And so that's where I'm thinking, like, I might want to start trying different things, shorter bugles, just hitting the top note, maybe just doing the bottom note. Um, like you said, like kind of the grunting and the puffing on the end or the beginning and just trying different things. That's one thing that I've noticed in myself that I think isn't helping me anymore. <laughs> sounds yeah. cool. Sounds good when you're doing it for your buddies, but it, I don't think the elk do that. Right. I, I'm with you. I, don't, I didn't hear a ton of bulls that just torch off like that long, locating bugle i mean they do do it but i'm just saying like the majority of the elk especially on my general season tag in utah it almost takes something different something that they're not always hearing to to get them like okay i know what that like that's an elk and right i'm gonna go check that out or stay vocal enough to to let your buddy slip in so i i mean i do both you know it just i have to read the elk and see what kind of mood they are they're in and a lot of times we're not calling a lot and I do a lot of solo hunting too. Um, I mean, granted, I, I do some, some hunting with friends too. And that's always nice that you can send a caller 80 yards back and, yeah. and, uh, 
have them bugle and call them past you. And when they're fired up, yeah, that works. You, you obviously you look for those, the, the right location to, to get set up so that you can, you can be successful and, and get one killed. But, um, a lot of times I'll just, when I'm out solo hunting, I'll, I'll make a call and I know that that bulls within two or 300 yards and I'll make a call and I'll, I'll act like a herd of elk. I'll just start cow calling a bunch. I'll hit a bugle and I'll rake a tree. And then I'll actually like almost sprint a hundred yards mm. and I'll just stay quiet. And, and I know that they, you know, I know that they're somewhere in that 200 yards. I've just cut a hundred yards and I'm hoping that then now those elk are going to work their way past me coming to my calls that were a hundred yards back. Yeah. And I'm hoping to kind of cut them off a little bit. And I do that a lot when I'm out solo hunting, um, for elk and, and they're calling. When you were doing the team stuff though, and you're trying to get your buddy was the, you know, you said early season. So I'm assuming like they're not super vocal. Maybe it's a little hot yet. Maybe they're not quite in the mood and you, and you know that like you kind of know like, Hey, they're not super talkative today, but this one seems to be sounding off in response. So you're like, I'm just going to sit here at 300 yards and I'm going to get them. I'm going to try to get them to bugle every five, 10 minutes. And you just get the wind and try to get as close as possible to them. Is that the, that's what you're talking about. That's the plan. Yep. That's so, the plan when I have a buddy and they're not super vocal, but they're just vocal enough that I can, you know, have a buddy slip in. So is if you, when you're thinking about this setup in the situation, are you usually like, it's usually you're thinking it's a bedded bowl midday. That's just sounding off. Or are you thinking it's like in the evening or in the morning and he's on his feet and he's on his move. Cause we've made, we've made the, the mistake of trying to catch elk like that that are sounding off every five, 10 minutes, but they're moving. And it's just like, you can never catch them. You can't run them down. Like, even though they're not running away from you, they're just moving too fast in the mountains for us. Yeah. Um, it's probably more towards the evening. Yeah. I mean, usually when the bulls are bedded down, I don't think that they, that I, that I've had a lot of bulls bugle to me in their beds um, as much as it's evening time you're kind of just walking around. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I like to do. I just am aggressive, dude. Not, I mean, you hear those guys and they'll, they'll walk super quiet, right. And they're sneaking through the woods and there's a time and place for that. But when I'm trying to find elk, especially in a, a unit where there's just not a ton of bulls, I'm just making these weird noises and I'm making all these bugles and I'm just walking around and, and I'm not being quiet. I'm, stomping around breaking sticks not really worried about it i mean you think about it those elk herds like i was just last weekend i was um out scouting and this elk herd comes up over this the top of this um, basin and they drop down into the same little bowl i'm in mm. and dude they were so stinking loud like they're elk you know and then there's a lot of them they're just they're loud they're breaking sticks they're they're not there's so many of them that it's just inevitable and I'll, I'll use that tactic quite a bit. And just to, just to kind of almost surprise that elk a little bit. Cause once he, uh, hears all that commotion and he's like, man, there's a herd up there and they're, they're pretty vocal. Like he'll sound off. Even if he's like, it's not the rut, he'll be like, Hey, like, who are you? First of all, who's the bull bugling yeah. and what, what's going on, you know? And that's, that's another tactic that I'll kind of use when they're not like, super vocal right to, to, to locate them at least 
So what are you doing? Like, here's the que- here's here's the issue. Like, if it if it's a hot and heavy day, you never have the question of what do I do because there's a bull. There's always something going on. There's a bull beal going over here, over there. We got this win. We're gonna go play that one. That one didn't work. Now there's another one, and you know those kind of days that you 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 just go like you just on autopilot. You're playing bowls and you're in the game, and and so that's never an issue. But the issue that we have is like the slow days when they're not bugling. It's like, what are we supposed to do? Are we, should we just pound ground? And, but then we're probably walking by elk. They're just not talking. Should we hold up here and uh, see if we hear anything later this afternoon? Like we never, we typically, once we're out, we're out for the day. We usually base camp day hunt, but this year we're probably going to spike camp or, or backpack hunt either one, you know, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know the difference, I would say spike camp is where you, go in, set up a tent off your back that you packed in, and then hunt around that area versus mm-hmm. backpack hunting is every day you wake up, you break down your tent, you put it back on your pack, and then you hunt and you set up wherever you finish. And that's yep. like what I would say. I think we're probably going to do one of the two this year in Colorado. But, like, what do you do midday when they're not talking, like, specifically to you, not just, like, what do you think people should do? But, like, what in your in your history, what have you been doing on those days they're just not talking in the middle of the day? Um, dude, I, I'll just be honest with you during the middle of the day. I really don't try to, to hunt too much. Um, you know, I, I'll sit on like a trail. If I can see a main trail, like I'll sit off of it. Um, like you said, if there's a wallow or something, um, I'll sit that. In fact, like I went and put my blind up and I'm, I always put a blind up and I don't know why I do it. Cause I hate sitting in blinds and I never <laughs> end up going back to, to actually use the blind, but I do have it there. And just for that reason during yeah. the day that I could go back to it, um, if I had to, um, but I kind of just get done with the morning hunt and wherever I'm at, usually, you know, if I'm on elk, I'll just sit tight. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to move too much, especially when they're bugling. This is like when they're, you know, in full on rut mode, I don't, I don't want to push them too much. So I'll just kind of sit during the midday and then, um, I'll go after them during the evening again, if they're bugling. And even if they're not bugling too, I guess I'll still go out and I'll just act like I'm a herd of elk, just walking through bugling as much as I can. And I'm, I'm pretty aggressive. Like I, I know a lot of guys, especially my dad's buddies, like growing up, it was like, don't call too much. Don't call too much. Like yeah. just, that even if you know like you're gonna you're just gonna scare them but i call quite a bit because i just want to find that one bull that that is focal and i might push a couple elk for sure i might bump some elk and i do bump some elk but at least i'm covering country and i i i seem to find a bull that usually will will bugle once or twice and at least be able to pinpoint where where he's at to be able to hunt him you know for the next day or, or even right when, you know, I find him that evening. Okay. So then you're thinking like, so for the, for the listener, that's like, well, what should I do? So you go out in the morning and hopefully you find some elk that are bugling, right? Like hopefully you have something going in the morning. You heard a bugle, you played them. And then obviously if you're, if you're wondering what you should do midday, you probably didn't, you probably didn't capitalize on them, which is not the end of the world. So now you're saying, like, if you were in the game and the elk are there, you didn't bust them, they're probably close by. Like, they probably didn't – like, if you put them to bed, for example, stay there. 
and I think we'd probably both agree that's what we would do. If yeah. you went out in the morning and you didn't hear any bugles, you had nothing going, and now it's midday, would you probably say, like, go back to your pri- like your scouting plan and look at some areas, maybe bugle along the way, but if you find sign maybe within the week or within a couple days of fresh shine, like, in, and it's still midday, like, stop there. Like, that's, you found your evening spot. Like, hold up there and try to get on, like, a trail or something close to that good sign and then wait for evening and see if they pipe off. And if they don't, then just tomorrow is a new day, go to a completely different spot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So that's kind of the, like, I think that's what people, I don't know, I mean, I wish I knew more of like what everybody else's experiences was, but like for people that travel out, you only get seven days. Like we, I've archery hunted new spots one, two, three, four, five times. I guess one of those five, I rifle hunted it the year before and then we went back with bows. So four Mm -hmm. truly new spots. And it's like, you're learning so much. And so you're going to have some days where you probably don't hear a bugle. And hopefully they're few and far between, but they're, you got to have a plan for them. And that's where it's like, what do we do? We're, sometimes I feel like we walk past elk and, and you know, that's kind of the whole mystery of like hunting, I suppose, is like, what do you do when it's not working? And that separates the probably the successful hunters from the unsuccessful hunters. But one strategy could be like Corey Jacobson, run ridges until you find one that bugles. The other strategy is like, there's sign here. Elk were here this week, so let's yeah. just stay here for now. Or, like, let's maybe walk another little bit. You know, it's 11 a.m., there's sign here. Let's, like, maybe do a little loop, and if we don't find anything better, we'll come back to here by 2 p.m., and mm-hmm. this will be our evening spot. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I would say Corey Jacobson, that's, like, a very – that that's kind of how I hunt. You know, I, I'm running that ridge, and – I'll drop into one basin and I'll make my calls. If I don't get anything talking, I'll, I'll run back up, run to the next basin, drop in, make my little bugles, you know, and just, just try to find them. And what people don't understand is those elk, those elk, I mean, especially elk that aren't being pressured, which I know it's hard to, to find those elk that aren't being pressured these days, but there are unpressured elk though, you know, and you can go and find them. You just have to be willing to, to hike farther than, than most people, which I, I, you know, I feel like my success has come from just going that extra mile. Mm-hmm. Like I'll go in deeper and even like, I don't really worry about getting my elk out. I'm like, I'll worry about that once, yeah. once I get one down. Cause I'll figure that out. Even if I have to pack this puppy out in three days by myself, 10 miles out, I can do that, you know, and, and put my meat in the water. But you just, you just have to move and not worry about, you know, and, and just staying back as deep as you can to, to, to get into those elk that, um, you aren't being pressured. And when they're not being pressured, they're going to talk a little bit. They're, they're always going to talk a little bit. Elk are always talking. Like yeah. even, you know, they're, they're vocal. I've heard elk bugling in june july and august um and it's not the rut you know yeah well i heard one um when i did a i did a solo rifle hunt in colorado last week of october 
And I, mm. the day before the hunt started, I saw a bull with a herd. Nice bull, too. He was on the other side of 300. And he was bugling that morning. The night, Obviously, the night before season, which is a, every good elk hunting story starts with the night before season. <laughs> we saw a big bull, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what happened. But, yeah, he was he, he was out bugling, like, late October and still with a good-sized herd, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Um, mm-hmm. But it is what it is. Yeah. 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 That is a good point though. Just like that, you know, it's almost, I talked to Dwayne sessions on the podcast who we met out in Montana archery hunting. And, uh, he said like, you just gotta be adaptable. Like, like if we hear elk and we put them to bed, like I'll stay, I'll just sit with good wind, 150 yards away, 200 yards away. I'll sit all day until they start talking again in the afternoon. Or yeah. if we know we're one beds down, like a solo bull, we'll sneak in on him and shoot him in his bed. We've done that twice too. And it's like, it's kind of like, you just got to be adaptable. Like everyone's got their favorite strategy, but at the end of the day, you, you really just got to be adaptable and you yeah. got to meet the elk where they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's really it. You have to meet the elk where they are. And if you're not into elk, go find them, move around. Yeah. Don't, don't just get pumped or, you know, don't just get fixed in on this one area. Cause you saw an elk there two years ago and you, they were heavy in there just cause they were there two years ago. Yeah. doesn't mean they're there this, this year. And you just have to move and find where they're at. And, and that changes from year to year. Oh, I meant, yeah, that too. But I also meant like meet them where they are with their mood. Oh yeah. Like if they're yeah. silent and they're not talkative, like you can't really set up a calling sequence and expect them to come to you. Like you got to meet them where they are and they're in their bed. So you got to go to their bed and that's when you got to start pulling out some of those spot and stock tactics or getting real close and really tripping their alarm system, like a bull's alarm system. Um, But yeah, also make the meet physically. You got to meet them where they are too. Like if they're not in this drainage, you're not going to, you're definitely not going to have one come into your calls then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you hunt mostly so like so this is an interesting topic because like I've all like we're not locals so we can't do th- this way but do you hunt mostly like just day hunts you wake up at your house early drive out to the mountain you hunt and you hunt for the day and then you come back home to the house are you doing like base camp like base elk camp up in the mountains and then hunting every day from there or are you like backpacking it or or spike camping it I'm so I do a little bit of both. Uh, I, honestly, everything you just said, I do it all okay. depending on what time of the year it is and what tags I have and haven't filled. Um, for example, you know, if I don't fill my archery elk tag in Utah, um, in se- in September, August, September, then I can hunt the extended hunt. And that's when I will hunt for my house. Right. And I'll just run up for those day hunts at when I have time. Okay. But for the most part, like during the actual general season hunts, um, and those tags, I take a lot of time off and a lot of time, probably too much time. And I go, um, backpack in and just stay. And I usually have a spike camp. And what I'll do is I'll have a spike camp and I'll find, uh, you know, a hunt around this area for a day or two. And if I don't like what I'm seeing, or I'm just not finding elk, that's when I'll pack up and I'll just get on my Onyx and see what I think is the next best place, pack up camp and I'll go back in there. But I would say for the most part, like preseason, I have everything pretty much scouted out beforehand that I know what the elk are doing 
Yeah. And even when pressure comes from years past, I, I know where the elk get pushed. And um, I mean, it's really common sense where they are getting pushed. It's just deeper than anyone's willing to go. And I'll just go there and, and, and yeah, just make my way into where they're at. So, yeah, you could almost probably draw a map and then you draw a line from here's where the people, here's where the road is, draw it to the elk and then draw it farther. And that's where they yep. went. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I can't remember who was here. I was talking to somebody about this, but I think like the average Joe will walk like five miles maybe right anything past that like most people aren't going in after that oh and i would especially think if you don't have horses i think that is pretty aggressive i think i think the average think even less than that i would say the so here's how i would put it i would say the average elk hunter the average elk hunter that's not a local or not super diehard, just talking average person, and like I would say, our group is maybe in that average. We're probably usually not more than mm-hmm. two or three miles from a road, but our loop for the day is probably mm-hmm. between five and fifteen miles, depending on what we get into. Like if we get into them hot and heavy, we might not actually do that many miles because we're all in one spot, but. I don't think yeah. we're typically farther than like three miles from a road. I remembered my brother shot one that was a two and three quarter mile pack out. So like truly five mm-hmm. miles away from a road. Like, honestly, I don't think aside from wilderness areas, I don't think there's a ton of places where you can get a true five distance away, five mile distance away from any roads these days. Like it, there's a lot of roads out there, a lot of roads and trails. Um, you know, and so that doesn't mean like it's not nasty. I just think like five miles, a true five miles in, I think you're pretty much hunting by yourself most of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're probably right. Maybe that, maybe it's more like three. Um, but I, I, in Utah, it's a different game too. Like I, well, Utah I'm talking is more about yeah. Utah just cause I, cause I hunt in Utah and, uh, you know, when I'm that five or six miles in, I still run into people, dude. Still run into them. Like you would think that, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one in here. No one has horses, and and I still see people. It's right when I go past that six miles that I don't see people anymore. I mean, occasionally, you know, you'll have those hunters come in on horses, um, but usually they're coming in for a week or so, and then they're out and that was probably the last hunt that they're, they're going to do that year. You know, I feel like at least the, the horse guys I know, yeah. they use their horses maybe once they'll go in there, have a good hunt. And then they come out and that was their elk hunt. If they killed great. If they didn't we'll wait till next year. I was just thinking thing. like, I'm thinking back to the units that we've hunted last year. We couldn't get five miles off a road. Cause you would get trapped by um, like, rock out cliffs or like above timberline rocky peaks that the elk aren't going to be up in like mountain goat Mm -hmm. territory or private and so you couldn't get that far off of a road um the year the place we're going to like we can get in deep and we can go to places that's not going to be like other people probably won't go but we're still not five miles from a road because we'll it'll be like two miles up but then you cross the ridge and now you're two miles from down from you know then it'd be two miles down to the other road you know what i mean like you can't there's not like it, that's where you probably have to get to like big wilderness areas 
and maybe there's just more of them in Utah. But a mm-hmm. lot of the places we've hunted, like you just can't get that far away from a road because there's another road that you're like six miles in. Wouldn't you start? Are you starting to get close to like a road on the backside, or is this just a monstrous wilderness area? It's a monstrous wilderness area. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's definitely where you can go in. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I, I think archery hunting. Most people are within a mile of the road. I really do think a lot of elk hunters are hunting within a mile of the road. And if they hear something, they might go deeper. But if they don't, they probably don't go any deeper than that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we've never – well, I shouldn't say never. I think one time I can remember running into another person archery two, – two times. We've ran into two people in the eight years I've been archery hunting mm-hmm. while we were hunting. We called one group um, in and we called – Out in Colorado? Uh, no. Colorado, this will be a new experience because – Okay. Um, that's Montana and Wyoming, but different okay. spots throughout Montana and Wyoming, which aren't too far behind Colorado in terms of like pressure. Like, uh, and we're not going over the counter, Colorado. We drew a tag. Oh, so that'll yeah. be huge. That'll, that'll be help. Nice. Yeah. That'll help a yeah. lot. Um, so we drew a tag and, and so, um, yeah, we, we bugled in, uh, one group and then the other group, he was looking for his bull and just stumbled across us. And that's how we met him. Um, and I actually had him on the podcast, on a different podcast, because he's a, a outdoor entrepreneur. But, yeah, so he, uh, we don't run into that many people. So maybe there is just something special in the water over there in Utah. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it's it, these Utah hunts, they're, they're – when someone tells you they killed a bull on a Utah hunt, it's – you know they've worked for it. My life elk hunting goal – would be to hunt elk with Ryan Carter in the rut. Yeah. Yeah. That, I know yeah, his I, specialty is tree stands. I had him on the podcast and I know you? his specialty is like tree stands and ambush, like pattering them before the rut. But I mm-hmm. just want to know what it's like to hunt the rut in, in peak rut in peak, uh, limited entry units in Utah and just bugle mm-hmm. in 20 bulls a day. Oh, I still need to do that. It, the, the hard thing is, is you have your hunts going on, right? So I'm in my general season area, the areas, and I usually haven't tagged out yet. And that's so I never can run down and go to those limited entry hunts. And I, one day I'm going to get down there and do that just to, just to call in bulls. Cause yeah, dude, I, that just sounds like a riot. I I'm sure you could go down to one of those areas and call in 10 bulls in a weekend. Like it was nothing. Yeah, he said like a lot of like it's over the counter for spikes, so you could come down and just bugle in bulls and then just shoot a spike, which he made it sound super easy, and I'm sure for him it would be. But I guess our luck is we just see nothing but giant bulls and never have a spike come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you there. So yeah, but yeah, no something. There's something about elk hunting, man, that it's just like I love whitetails and I love managing land, and especially now. I mean, I've been part of our family farms and managing them for 20 years, but we just bought mm-hmm. our own farm and, and that'll always be a huge passion and it's a year long passion. Cause that's where I live. But when it comes to elk, like it's, it's almost like a year, a year's worth of passion packed into seven days. Yeah. Yeah. For me. Cause we travel for it. Right. Yeah. Right. There, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Elk hunting, dude. I, there's just nothing beats it. At least I think anyways. So for you, is it like I, elk, I'm going to hunt elk until I take out and then I'll see if I can chase a mule deer or, or what's the, what does that look like? Cause I know you do both. Like don't get, yeah. you're not kidding anyone here talking about all these elk. I know you hunt both. Yeah. 
Um, so here's what I do each year. I'll go and I'll scout and I'm actually looking for a mule deer to start the season off every okay. year. If I don't find a mule deer that I am interested in, I'll just switch over to elk mode and I, <laughs> I and I'll, you know, I'll go after elk. Um, if I find my deer preseason and I know, you know, where, what he's doing and I've been on him for a while, I'll dedicate the first like two weeks toward mule deer just because the elk really aren't talking much. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then hopefully I've killed that deer by then. And if not, then I switch over to elk mode right when it, uh, starts getting a little heavier, um, with the elk rut action. Um, cause Utah's general deer and general elk open up at the same time. Okay. So. And can you, with your Utah general take, can you pick up a rifle if you don't shoot one with a bow or is it just bow? So I, they changed some things this year, actually. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know exactly. Um, don't, I don't want you to quote me on this, but they used <laughs> to do a multi-season tag. Okay. Which don't get me started about that, but, um, I think that was terrible for, uh, for the, for the elk herd, but we won't get into that, but you used to be able to, to go after a bull with archery. If you didn't get one during archery, you could go after with one with a rifle for two weeks. And then if you didn't get one with your rifle, you could go after one with your muzzleloader for another week or two. Now, I think they did close that finally, which okay. I don't, I think now if you do that tag, they, I think it's still called a multi-season tag but you can shoot a bull during archery, any bull, any cow, whatever, any elk. Then you could shoot a spike with a rifle and maybe a spike with a muzzleloader. But that's the part I, I don't, I'm not okay. super sure about. There were some real changes there. So I was just curious, cause like in Minnesota, you can shoot one buck. Mm -hmm. And if you want to archery hunt, you have to buy the archery license and you can shoot your buck. If you don't fill it and you want to hunt firearm then, you have to buy a firearm license as well, but then you could go try to get your one buck with a gun. And then if you don't fill that, you could buy the third muzzleloader license and then try to get your buck, but you can only get one buck no matter what. And mm -hmm. so that's what I was curious. So it's just like being an outdoorsman in Utah, do you have to pick one weapon and commit to it? Or if like you pick a bow and it doesn't work out, could you buy another rifle tag and try to get one with your rifle? but still only one elk. That's kind of what I was asking about. Cause some States, I don't think you can, even as a resident, um, switch it up. But then other States like Montana and Wyoming, their general licenses, you get one elk, you can use any open season you want to shoot your one elk. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I, I don't know. Utah does it a little bit funky, Okay, but, uh, you, it, so you have to buy your tags before the season starts, obviously. Okay. And you have to actually get online and buy it. And okay. it's like a $150 for that multi-season tag. And if you kill during archery, you no longer could kill that general, that, that yeah. general season bull on your, um, on the rifle or the muzzleloader, like you tagged out. Yeah. Right. But that's they not maybe have... the same as like, I'm just going to buy an archery tag first not multi-season but then i didn't fill it could i go then and buy the rifle tag before rifle season starts no you okay, can't gotcha. do that gotcha. if, you, if i bought a now if i went in there's a general season over the counter tag and this is the one that you actually can go in you don't have to draw for it yeah if i go in and i go get that tag specifically 
Um, if I don't kill during archery, that's it for me, but I can hunt the extended hunt. And the extended hunt is basically an area that they've set aside. And it's like, okay, if you didn't kill on your general season tag here, now you have until, um, I, I believe the hunt for elk ends in late November. And if you don't kill then in the extended hunt, then, then it's over. But you still have to use that weapon that you chose. And actually, you can't do that with rifle. You could only do that with archery if you wanted to hunt the extended hunt. It's a lot of information. Hopefully, it. it yeah. Well, it doesn't know, really matter. It sense or not? For me, other than I'm just curious because I'm never going to move to Utah. So if I ever hunt it, I'm hunting it for one week or one trip, and I probably have a limited entry, so I only get this weapon in this unit. And so, but I'm just always curious because I always feel like, for the residents, it's like I would feel for you. Like if I was a Utah, like for you, I would imagine like I would think you would want to be able to say like I bought an elk tag and it's bow season so i have to use a bow if i want to try to hunt and then it's rifle season so i could probably use a rifle or maybe they'll let me use a bow too if i just got to wear blaze orange or it's muzzleloader season so now i just have to switch to a muzzleloader but i still it's like one elk take and i'm a resident you know so i can go get my elk but i i get how every state like in the west it's different because there's more hunters than elk and it's a big like it's not the same as like overpopulated whitetails in the east where it's just like you get one buck and three does a year Shoot them however you want. Just make sure you use an illegal weapon in a legal season. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's the take. Yeah, one thing I want to do this year, so I took over Western Rookie like midway through application season last year. One thing I'd love to do, and it would be even it would be super awesome if I could partner with Go Hunt to do it, but I'd love to come out with like a bonus episode like the week before each tag deadline. And then just talk through it. Like, here's yeah. here's what this means. Here's what that means. And, like, for Utah, for example, it's like, here's what all these license types are. Like, make sure you apply for the right one. Mm-hmm. I think that'd yeah, be super Yeah, that would be cool. super helpful. Yeah. That would be super helpful. I'd be all over that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if you, like, you probably know your state pretty good, but then when you're like, I kind of want to hunt Colorado this year. I wonder what that system's like. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. I, I've never done Colorado either, so um that's that's kind of the one that i've not done and i i did have some buddies that tried to convince me to get a tag this last year and i i i decided against it but maybe one day i'll get down there there's two states i'm batting a thousand on elk and colorado's one of them so let's see if i can keep it going this year yeah north dakota and colorado because those are the two states i got my limited entry rifle tags in (laughs) Uh uh-huh so yeah. Crazy, man. The rest of the states, I guess, by the opposite, I'm batting zero in Montana and zero in Wyoming. So I guess I can't brag too much. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. It's going to be an exciting one month from today. We'll be at camp. Heck, yeah. It, archery here in Utah kicks off this uh, this Saturday. Oh, um, you're getting yeah getting fired up then i'm glad i got you on the podcast now i have noticed yeah. that that's an issue with this western rookie it's the first fall that i've done this podcast through and when you're trying to talk to like western hunters i've been getting a lot of man i'm busy like i could do this night or this night or yeah oh antelope open today like antelope open today in a lot of states i think because a lot of people told me that their antelope season's open and they can't do a podcast this week <laughs> yep 
Yeah, a lot of antelope hunts have opened up. And I think even mule deer, like a lot out of places. Nevada. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple mule deer hunts that are already open. Got to get Nevada those being one of them. Big velvet bucks. I, I really don't know how I feel about velvet. Dude, I'm with you. I am with you. <laughs> I killed my one velvet buck. There's a toad. Man, I'm looking at you, it right now. It's huge. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I, I like. I've had this bottle. I don't even know what the, the stuff is called. And I was like, I was like, man, if I, if I get something down, like I need to shoot it up. Like Velvalock. Um, it's not Velvalock. Um, oh. like you need needles and you, you know, you. Velvalock you know, is an over, it's like a spray can. I have heard of that. I, I, I've heard mixed, mixed things about it and I haven't tried it myself yet, but I might have to give it a shot and see how it does. Um, I had a buddy use it on a caribou and it didn't work for him and he still had to, you know, oh, pay to artificial. Yeah. Pay to get the, the artificial stuff. But I remember it was just a nightmare. Like I was out there stressing, trying to p- pump the the stuff through it to, to get the blood out and get the fluids out. And, um, I, I couldn't imagine, I got pretty lucky on the buck last year. I wasn't too far off the road when I killed that one. But I couldn't imagine shooting it, you know, 10 miles in a basin, 15 miles in a basin. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I got to get this thing out before the velvet cures. And you're worried about meat, right? You're worried about the meat first. So you're trying to get the meat out. The horns are the last thing you're going to carry out. I mean, granted, if you had a group of guys, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But like I said, I'm I'm solo hunting quite a bit. So how big of a um, how big of a bill was it for your buddy to get the artificial? I I don't remember. I didn't ask. Okay. I didn't ask. Because I want to know, um, I would love to see a side-by-side on quality and then a cost. Because if it's like it's e- a lot equal quality and not, well, like what's a lot? Because a full a shoulder mount caribou is a lot too. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think a buddy of mine told me, and it's it's been a while, but he shot a mule deer, lost the velvet, and he paid almost just as much uh, for to cure the velvet as he did to mount the thing. Okay, so that's I would count that as a lot. So then I'm probably gonna have to figure out how to cure it. But yeah, yeah, I don't. I just don't even know if I like the look of it. Aside from the work, like I don't know how I feel. Like I don't know <laughs> if I'd rather have the hard horned or the velvet. I know for like mule deer and caribou, I think I would rather like I could see it. But for uh-huh. almost every other species, I don't really think I would care. I would rather shoot the hard horn. Yeah, yeah, and I. I would tell you I'd rather shoot the hard horn on, on any of the animals. Just less less work, less worry. And I, I like the low overall look of it better too. Yeah, my brother um, always says it's like it's like not unwrapping a Christmas present. Like if you gave if I gave you a Christmas present, you just left it in the wrapper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy how boogered up it gets too when my buck fell over. Oh yeah. Like, Especially if it's late. Yep. yep. Like if it's ready I, to peel anyway, it, like I've seen some bucks just get mangled. Yeah. Yeah. So I killed mine and he fell over and scraped it on the ground and it's got this giant, like, you know, mark on up the side. And I, I'd way rather kill one hard horned, but yeah. that's me. Velvet, velvet's cool. But like I said, get, get, get one under you. I got my one and I'm like, I don't care to shoot another velvet. <laughs> Yeah, well, mule deer might be a realistic thing we're chasing soon because that's one of the options for like a 
uh, archery hunt with my wife. And I think I, the things I like about it is typically, depending on where you go, archery mule deer can be like a high, high stock rate. Like you, you're seeing, you're seeing deer, especially if you're not picky. So you're going to probably go in a lot of stocks. So that's probably good for an entry level hunt. What I don't mm-hmm. know if I like about it is it is not an easy hunt by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. And so yeah. there's going to be a lot of blown stocks. And so that might not be quite as fun for a new hunter either. Depends on how you handle like frustration. <laughs> like if you view it as like an addictive challenge, then it'd probably be great for her. But if she views it as like a, like a defeating thing, then that would obviously not lead to a fun time. And that, and she hasn't done it before. So I don't know how she's going to take that. I definitely get frustrated. <laughs> like I, it's like, gosh, darn it. These things aren't paying attention. Yeah. I, I, I'd rather be making stocks than not seeing, seeing much and getting blown than, than not seeing anything, you know, cause you know, it's going to happen eventually. You just have to have, you know, that eventually one of those stocks is going to, going to, going to turn out for you. Well, and if um, you're not picky on size, which I don't think we would be at all, like I know she won't be. And I like, maybe I wouldn't shoot a yearling, but like a two year old with nice forks or like yeah. a three-year-old four-by-four, four, I'd definitely probably go after just being mm-hmm. new to archery mule deer. I've shot a few with my rifle. But you probably have so many of them, and they probably aren't as smart as the 200-inchers. So it's like, yeah, maybe they just bed in spots that are easier to go after, and it might make it slightly more achievable. Not that it'll yeah, be I, easy, but a little more achievable. She'll have a blast if if uh, if if there's deer around, even the two-points, dude. It's, it's always a... A riot. Is there over-the-counter archery non-resident mule deer in Nevada or in, in Utah? I I don't know. Yeah, that's the know. thing is it's not easy to get some over-the-counter mule deer tags anymore. Yeah. Um. I I would say I I haven't heard of any in Utah. I know there's some in like Idaho and stuff. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I've got one buddy that usually get can go get an archery tag pretty easy up there. Okay. In Idaho. Yeah. Awesome. Well, just I mean, I just looked down now and noticed we're a good ways over an hour already, which is crazy. And it's fast. It's just interesting and fascinating how you just meet some person like you and I have never met. We've never talked before in our lives, but you bring up hunting and it's like boom, an hour's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So, but I do no. appreciate you being here, uh, Cade. And I, before we wrap up, um, I don't want to cut you off. So whatever you wanted to say next, go for it. Oh, no, you're good. I just was going to say, yeah, I, dude, that's the one thing that I could probably sit down and talk, talk over a couple hours about. If it was anything else, I don't know. It, it'd be hard for me, but. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, hunting is like the universal icebreaker amongst us, and so yeah. it usually goes pretty well. But I do wanted to give you an opportunity to, to uh, share with the listeners uh, any Instagram or social media channels you have. If you if you want to give people a chance to uh, tag along with some of your adventures, check out some of the animals we've been talking about here on the podcast or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, so I just have an Instagram page. It's uh, my name. Cade, K-A-D-E underscore cleverly, C-L-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y. And uh, if you just look that same name up on YouTube, you should be able to find me. So I just kind of, I've been getting better, kind of, I've, I've filmed hunts since I was 12 or 13, never did anything with the footage, right? And then I'm just trying to get better and better 
and uh, make some better videos. But uh, I just take people along on the hunts that I do go on and have a good time doing it. So that's uh, that's about it. Well, if I'm ever in the running for a Utah tag, or if I'm ever in Utah looking for a shed antler, I'll I'll uh, give you a ring and we'll get together and maybe do another podcast and go have some fun out in the woods. Oh heck yeah, dude! Absolutely, that'd be that'd be awesome. Let Great. me know. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Cade, and thank you for listening, folks. <laughs>